This is Scott Archer, pastor of Central Congregational Church in La Mesa, California. Thank you so much for tuning into our Sunday service podcast, CCC Sunday Messages. I hope you find the messages both challenging and encouraging as you seek to know and follow Jesus in your daily life. If you live in or ever happen to visit the San Diego area, we would love to have you join us for worship and fellowship. For location, service times, and other information about our church, please visit our website at cccLamesa.com. CCC is a small but passionate intergenerational church working together for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors near and far. Well, as I mentioned in my message last week, uh, we are going to start a new series today. And uh, it's a series that is going to take us through the book of Judges. And um, and the first thing I have to do is apologize for a mistake when I announced this last week. Um, I said that if you weren't familiar with Judges, I encouraged us to read through it, to begin to read through it, get familiar with it. Um, and I said that Judges was between, um, was between Joshua and... And First uh, Samuel, and and uh, our good friend Professor Stuart Aiken sent me a nice email to remind me or correct me that that's not accurate. Actually, before you get to First Samuel, is the wonderful, powerful, beautiful story of Ruth uh, that is connected as a part of the time of the judges. And so that was a really bad mistake on my part uh, because that's such a powerful story. So it's Joshua judges Ruth. First Samuel, and so uh, I would encourage you to read uh, Ruth as well. It's one wonderful book, short books. It's a story, beautiful story. If you've never read it, um, but we are going to get into the book of Judges. Um, and uh, if you've never read the book of Judges before, uh, it's 20, 21 chapters, I believe. Um, it's going to blow your mind a little bit. It's going to confuse you. It's going to concern you. Uh, it's exciting in places. Uh, for our modern sensibilities, it's going to it's going to disturb us with its violence, and we'll talk about that as we go through it. Uh, but there, but it is a powerful book. There's a lot in there for us, and um, and the the whole of Judges, the sort of the premise of Judges, can be summed up actually in the final verse of the whole book. Uh, Judges chapter 21, verse 25, the last verse in the book, says this. It's a recurring theme throughout the book, but this is the most full statement. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. In those days, Israel had no king, and everybody just did what they thought was right and what they wanted. And, uh, and that led to all sorts of chaos and violence. And actually, the title of the series that we're going to go through in Judges, I've entitled Compromise, Chaos, and Covenant. Uh, my daughter, who has read this book several times and re- actually really likes it, said I should have added another C, Carnage, and you'll understand why once you get into it. Compromise, Chaos, Carnage, and Covenant. Uh, but I think Carnage can be caught up in the word chaos. And I believe uh, the reason I've chosen to go through this book be- is because I think that we are in some ways in a similar time. We are desperately lacking in leadership of integrity. Uh, We are desperately lacking at a local level, national level, worldwide level. Uh, Not that we want a king. We're, you know, obviously, for heaven's sake, we're Americans. We don't want a king, right? Uh, But, and we're not necessarily talking about kings or even uh, countries or states in, in particular. And just in general, it seems like so much in the world is due to self centered leadership. 
uh, there, there's a lack of truly in, uh, a le- of leadership with integrity and a true servant heart. And, and we live in a time where it seems like everybody just is sort of defining their own reality, making life up as they go, and, uh, and it's creating all sorts of chaos. And even within the church of Jesus Christ, I would argue, there's a lot of compromise. There's a lot of synchronicity between truly biblical Christian beliefs and the beliefs of the world around us. And we're going to see that's a huge problem in the book of Judges. And that compromise is part of what leads to this chaos And yet, in the midst of it all, we're going to be encouraged that we serve a covenant-keeping God, a God that is faithful to the end and faithful in ways that we absolutely don't deserve, and um, but but we can completely uh, rely on. And so, there's going we're going to cover a lot, but um, but actually, today we're not going to start in the book of Judges. We're going to start in the end of the book of Joshua, uh, sort of like a prequel. Uh, before we get into the book of uh, Judges, you know, a lot of times, like if you like Star Wars, you know, the original Star Wars movies picked up the story sort of in the middle, and then many, many years later, they went back and made episodes one, two, and three uh, to sort of fill in where we got to. And that's a, um, and so it's important as we look in the book of Judges that we have an understanding of where God's people, the people of Israel, where they are in this time and sort of how they got there. And so, um, excuse me just a moment. Let me just do a brief historical recount of the people of Israel. So we start in the book of Genesis. We start with the creation of the world. There's the creation. There's the fall of Adam and Eve. And there's uh, things happen there. Um, there's, and then we get, uh, you know, mankind uh, gets to a, a certain place. And it, very similar to the time of Judges, uh, gets to a place where it says God looked down and he saw that mankind's interactions were only violence and always violence all the time. And uh, he just couldn't tolerate it anymore. And that's where we get the story of Noah and the flood. And there's this sort of destruction and then recreation. Um, and then we have the Tower of Babel, where the people again came together and uh, you know they all spoke the same language. And again, they're trying to assert themselves sort of as their own gods and said, said we're going to make a tower to heaven and make a name for ourselves. And God came down and saw what they were doing and said, if, if we just leave them to themselves, they'll, they'll be able to accomplish anything, and, but not in a good way. Um, so he confuses the languages. And we have this sort of what's like... Um, prehistory, primeval history of these interesting sort of crazy stories. But then we get to Genesis chapter 12, and it's in Genesis chapter 12 that God chooses a man, Abram. And he he commands Abram to leave uh, his father, his people, his country, his home uh, in Haran, and to go to a place that God will show him, to go to the land of Canaan, modern-day Israel or what modern-day Israel is a part of, the larger area of Canaan. And so then we have the story of Abram, who obeys God, takes himself and his wife, Sarai, and his nephew Lot, and all their people, and all their stuff, and they head out. And this is where the specific history of God's work in the world begins to get worked out, because it's through Abram, whose name is eventually changed to Abraham, that God says, I in Genesis chapter 12, 1 and 2, it says, through you I'm going to make a great nation. And through that nation I'm going to bless the whole world. This na- I'm going to build this nation to be a demonstration of my character and what I, the, way I want, the way I created the world to be and the way I created men and women to interact. And, um, and that nation is built up 
um, and or excuse me, Abraham has has a has a his son Isaac, and then Isaac has um, Jacob, and Jacob ends up having twelve sons, and then that's where we go from those twelve sons to the story of Joseph, the second youngest, who uh, is his daddy's favorite, gets the coat of many colors, right? If you've seen the Broadway uh, the Broadway show, um, <laughs> Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and his dr- brothers are jealous, so they sell. Joseph into slavery and tricked the dad, tricked Jacob into thinking he was killed by a wild animal. Um, and Joseph goes through a really hard time. Uh, but then eventually, and I know a lot of you know this story, but I know some of you don't um, know this whole story of Israel. Uh, eventually, though, J- J- uh, Joseph is vindicated. And the dreams and the visions he had as a young man that demonstrated that he was going to rule over everybody come true as he is able to interpret the Pharaoh of the time in Egypt, where he was sold, he's able to interpret his dreams, and he becomes the second in command in the whole kingdom of Egypt at that time. And what happens is a famine comes to the land, and Jacob and the rest of his sons, the tribe, what will eventually be the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, Joseph is able to bring them to Egypt where they are saved from the famine, and they are treated well by the Egyptian pharaoh. And things go well for a while, but then Joseph dies, that pharaoh dies, um, and a new pharaoh comes to town that doesn't know anything. And, and, the, and the Israelites, meantime, are multiplying and multiplying, and they begin to be seen as a threat. And so then they are put to hard slave labor for 400 years. But then, eventually, God raises up a deliverer, and that deliverer is Moses. And most of us know the story of Moses. And eventually Moses is able, through, uh, through being the, the mouthpiece of God, Moses and Aaron, uh, the plagues that God sends on the Egyptians. And eventually uh, God, Moses leads them out, leads them through the Red Sea. Um, and uh, they get to the very edge of Canaan, the land of promise that God said, I'm going to take you to your own land. Um, and I'm going to drive out the nations before you, and I'm going to give you a land and give you homes and fields that you didn't work for. I'm going to give it to you. Uh, and they get there, and they see that the people there are really big, and they're really powerful, and they, and they chicken out, and they don't trust God. They don't believe God. And they end up wandering around for 40 years in the desert um, as, as that whole unbelieving generation dies off. And a new generation, uh, the children grow up, and now... Moses died and jo- dies, and Joshua becomes the leader of the people of Israel to go in now and to cross the Jordan River and to do what the previous generation would not do, to go in and begin to drive out the inhabitants, the Canaanites. These, and these were, I don't have time to get into it this morning, but these were wicked people, uh, idolatrous people, people that sacrificed their children uh, to pagan gods. Um, and they... Uh, and so Joshua leads them in to begin with, and, and they, they gain a foothold in the land, and they subdue the immediate enemies of the land. And you can read all about that in the, in the book of Joshua. And so then uh, they, they get a relative calm. They haven't taken over the whole land yet, but they've established a foothold. And it's time, Joshua is an old man, Joshua is going to die, and it's time now for the various tribes, of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel Uh, for each one to go and establish themselves in the different parts of the land of Canaan, modern-day Israel, that were assigned to them. And and that brings us to the passage today. 
Joshua's, or Joshua's about to die, and he's basically commissioning them. He, re, he goes over the covenant uh, with them again. He goes over the history of what God has done for them. We'll look at that in just a moment. And then he says to them, choose you this day who you will serve. Because they're surrounded now, still, even though they're, they've established a foothold, they still have all these Canaanite, uh, polytheistic people around them. And he says, you choose, now's the time to choose. Are you going to serve the gods of your ancestors in Egypt? Or are you going to serve the gods of the Canaanites that you're surrounded by? Or are you going to serve the God of Israel, the only true God? And the famous phrase, choose you this day who you will serve, but as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. That's where we find ourselves. And let me read the, um, the passage at the end of Joshua here. To, and then I just want to make a few comments about it as a setup for heading in to, uh, and heading into Judges next week. Joshua is starting at Joshua 24, chapter, four, uh, chapter 24, verse 14. Joshua says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. We'll talk about that in a moment. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods gods your father served in the region beyond the river or or the gods of the Amorites, or the Canaanites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I bet some of you have a plaque in your house that says that on it. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went. And among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Now, but listen to this in verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. All the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, then put away your foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart or bend your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes or a rock, a stone and rule, or excuse me, and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was at the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it is a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. 
After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him in his own inheritance in Timnath-serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and, and who had known all the work that the Lord had done for Israel. So that's where we are. All this history of God building up the people of Israel, rescuing, rescuing them from slavery, slavery, excuse me, bringing them to the promised land, and now they're in, and now it's time to go and fully take uh, possession of it, uh, but it's also a time that Joshua is dying, so it's a time of transition. And, um, and the, the call of the moment from Joshua, and it's the title of the message, is choose you this day. Here's the central thought, if you're following along the notes that were provided in the email or on the version notes. Central thought is this, as the voice of Joshua echoes through the centuries, calling us to complete devotion to God, we recognize that our choice to do so is a matter of repentance, faith, and grace, rather than tedious, self-righteous effort or superficial self-help. Let me read that one more time. As the voice of Joshua echoes through the centuries, calling us to complete devotion to God, we recognize that our choice to do so ultimately is a matter of repentance, faith, and grace rather than tedious self-righteous effort or superficial self-help. So let's talk about this idea of choice. The, the people of Israel saying, we, ch- we will choose. We choose to serve God. First of all, what is the context of this choice? Well, the context of the choice that that Abra, or the, excuse me that Joshua calls the people of Israel to is God's power and faithfulness. Uh, earlier in the in uh, the chapter we read and the chapter before, uh, Joshua recounts just like I did for you a minute ago, but even in more detail, he recounts the whole history of what God has done for the people of Israel, how he built them up, how he saved them, rescued them, protected them, provided everything they've needed him. So when he calls them to choose to follow him, he's saying you choose God because he is God and he is the one that has done everything for you. We know, And we know this is true in our own lives. God was and is the source of everything good in our lives. In the book of James, chapter 1, it says that James says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. So that's the context. The context of, to choose God, to serve God, is, is, the con, is the awareness that God is God and that he's a good God and that he's, everything good in our lives comes from him. And it's also, <clears throat> excuse me, um, so that's the, um, excuse me, that's the uh, context. Then we get to the command. And the command is to serve God, and it's, but it's not just Elohim, it's not just any God, it's in your Bible, the word is serve God or serve the Lord, all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And when you see that in your Bible, that's the, that's the English way to say the word, the Hebrew word for God, Yahweh, which is the personal name of the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, what we believe, the Israelites believed, and what we believe to be the only true God. And the command was to serve God, to serve Yahweh with single-hearted devotion. 
This is a radical call. We need to understand this because <clears throat> Judaism, even today, along with Christianity and Islam, uh, is are the those are the only three large monotheistic religions in the whole world and possibly throughout history. And the Israelites grew up and, and were entering into Canaan at a time when they were completely surrounded by pagan polytheists. There were, there were hundreds of gods, and there were gods for this and gods for that. And there are places in the world today where that is still true. And so it was a radical thing to come out and say, no, there's really only one God. And that any other so-called God is not a God at all. And even if there were other gods, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, is the only one that is truly all-powerful, the only sovereign God. And so the command is to serve him alone. It wouldn't have been any big deal to go into some other group and to, and to honor their God and to add your God to theirs. In fact, that's what gets Israel in trouble as we go through the book of Judges. But that's not what happens. It says it, um, the command, the call, is to choose this day who you will serve, and the command is to serve Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, with single-hearted devotion. That takes us back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, in the Ten Commandments, given by Moses when he came down Mount Sinai. Very simply stated, you shall have no other gods before me, or besides me, or other than me. Again, they're surrounded by polytheists. They're surrounded by people that worship rocks and stones and the sun and the God of this and the God of that. And they said, you will be a peculiar people and you will have no other gods before me. And the fact of the matter is, brothers and sisters, and maybe you're visiting with us today and you're, maybe you're just a seeker and you, you recognize the, the uh, multicultural uh, uh, many belief systems around us in the world today, God still requires complete loyalty from his followers. Matthew 22, 37, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? He begins by saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And one way to think about that is a Jewish, that, that repetition there is a way to say, love God, love God, love God only. And so even though we're many, many centuries away from Joshua and the people of Israel, the call, the command to choose you this day and to serve God single-heartedly because God is the one who's provided everything for us and he's the only true God. That command still is there today for you and for me. So we have the context, we have the command, and then we have the choice, right? He, uh, Joshua puts it out there before the people, says, choose you this day, and they say, we will serve and worship Yahweh alone. We will serve our God, the God of Israel, for us, the God of the Bible, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will serve Him alone. And I would say they meant well. I know they meant well. And you know what? I think you and I today, I know I'm speaking mainly to Christians, people who claim to be uh, believers in God and, and have placed their faith in His salvation through Jesus Christ. Most of us recognize God's holiness, his faithfulness, his provision, and we have a deep desire to worship him alone. I think if Joshua were standing here today, uh, getting ready to die, saying, choose you this day whom you will serve, if he was standing here instead of me, I think 99.99% of us would raise our hand and say, 
we choose to serve the Lord, we will be faithful. That's our desire. That's the choice that we would make. But then something very strange happens. And that brings us to the conundrum of this passage. C-O-N-U-N-D-R-U-M, if you need to know how to spell that word. The conundrum is this. Joshua says, you can't do it. God's too holy. God is a holy God, and he's a jealous God. He's not like the other gods that say, yeah, you can worship other people as long as you worship me too and give me what I want when I want it. He's not like those other gods. He's a jealous God that, that will only, uh, he will brook no competitor, not because he's an egomaniac, because he knows those other gods are nothing and that they won't supply anything for you. And so he says, even though you've said, we'll serve you, Lord, we'll serve you alone, Joshua just looks right at him and says, you can't do it. I don't believe you because God is a holy God and he's a jealous God. And the fact of the matter is, just like the Israelites there, and we're going to see that play out through the book of Judges, we don't have what it takes in ourselves to keep faith with Yahweh, with the God of the Bible, with the God of Jesus Christ, with the only true God. The story of Israel is our story. The story of history is our story. The lusts of the flesh and the allure of the world easily overcome our devotion to God. Maybe we're not surrounded in our immediate cultural context with actual physical idols like the, uh, like the Israelites were. But you and I both know that we're surrounded by all sorts of idolatry. We're so easily caught up in, uh, in, in idolizing pleasure over faithfulness to God and his commandments. Idolizing financial security uh, over a willingness to serve and give. Um, idolizing the... Um, the, accolade, uh, the, uh, the affection of someone else or the, the accolades of the people around us, um, all sorts of ways uh, that, that we um, are, are overcome by the lusts of our own flesh or the trinkets, the allure of the world around us. Even the Apostle Paul was aware of this as the, in the famous passage in Romans 7. Let me read from 14 to 20 for you, for us. The Apostle Paul says, For we know that the law, speaking of the law of God, is spiritual, but, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. The Israelites had the desire to do what's right. They really did want to serve God wholeheartedly, but like us today, back then, they did not have the ability in themselves to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is, is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do, not do what I, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. There's this thing in us. We are captives to sin in ourselves. Our flesh is corrupted. Brothers and sisters, if you don't sense that in your own life, if, that, if, that, if there isn't a sense of that struggle in your life, then you're not being honest with yourself. If you think you're in your own self, if, if, if I can make the choice in myself, no, I can worship God, I'm, gonna, I'm faithful, then there's, you're not being honest with places in your life of brokenness and idolatry and sinfulness. 
That's the Apostle Paul that's writing that, and he speaks to all of us. The conundrum is that even though we say, we make the choice, I will serve God, we discover that in ourselves, we can't do it. But let me end with this, the comfort. We've talked about the context of God's power and faithfulness and the command to serve him alone because of his power, his holiness, his faithfulness. And we've made the choice. We've heard the call and we say, yes, I'll serve you, God. But then there's that conundrum of our inability to follow through on the very thing we want to do. But then we come to the comfort and we realize that God in Christ, and, and the Israelites didn't realize this yet, right? That's why we have the book of Judges. But on this side... Uh, we know today that God in Christ has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And let me go back and read this part where um, where Joshua says they can't do it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. He says, uh, oh, lost my place here. Never mind, I'll say it by heart. Uh, once they Once they say, yes, we'll choose the Lord, We'll serve him only. Joshua says, uh, you can't do it because God is holy and he's a jealous God. And he says, he's going to hold you accountable. And, is if, and if you say, yes, I will, and you don't, he's going to bring all sorts of disaster on you. And really what we see is that God basically just removes his presence. But what we discover in the New Testament, what we discover in the coming of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection is that's not really the heart of God. Joshua didn't know the full story. And it is not ultimately God's desire to punish us for our lack of faith and faithfulness. He is a holy God, and he brooks no competitors, and he does call us to holiness today and to faithfulness and worship, just like he did then. But he also remembers, as the psalmist has said, that we are but dust. And what we couldn't do for ourselves, God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is our great hope today. And in light of that is why we say again, yes, I will serve you and I will worship you alone, but I will only be able to do that as I throw myself at the feet of, foot of the cross and cling to Jesus and ask for the help of his Holy Spirit in my life. The rest of the passage in Romans, starting at verse 21 of chapter 7, says this, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the laws of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in the members of my body. And then verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? As we read through the book of Judges, you're gonna, that, that cry could be the whole cry of the book of Judges. Wretched people that we are, who will deliver us from the chaos of our compromise? Who will deliver us from our violence, from our idolatry, from our syncretism? But verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because of God's great love demonstrated through the gift of his Son, we are not left to ourselves. We are not left in that place where we uh, say, yes, I want to serve, but we can't do it. And then we were just judged like all the other pagan nations that surrounded Israel. 
We have a Savior. We have a full and final judge, a good judge, the perfect judge in Jesus Christ. We know that. And so we can read the book of Judges, which we will start next week, with, uh, even though it's going to overwhelm us, even though it's going to confuse us and really cause us some concern, we can read it with hope because we know it's not the end of the story. And we know that it doesn't express the full heart of God. But it also will be a warning to us not to rely on ourselves and not to give in to the lusts of our flesh and not to give in uh, to the gods of the age around us, but to truly daily, with the help of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God, make that choice and say it with me today that we will serve the Lord for he is great and he is good and he is faithful and true. Let's pray. Well, Father, we are thankful for this book that you've given us, the book we call the Bible and uh, the, the Old Testament, Lord, which is the Hebrew Bible, the Bible Uh, of the people of Israel, and it's the Bible of the Jews today. Uh, But we thank you, Lord, that that's not the end of the story. We thank you that it also contains what we call the New Testament, which is basically the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. We thank you that in all the history of your people and throughout our, that it's our history and that we are not left to ourselves. We are not left in chaos. We are not uh, ultimately a victim of our compromising spirits, Lord. But you have reached down, you have stooped down, and you have rescued us. And you have lifted us up through Jesus Christ. And you have given us the gift of your Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so we have great hope. We have great confidence. So Lord, I just pray that you'd help us uh, to, to open our hearts to you in faith once again today. Help us, Lord, today to be honest about ourselves, to confess our idolatry, to confess the places of compromise in our lives. Uh, and just to, again, to just cling to, to come to the feet of Jesus and the foot of the cross and I'll let you bring true forgiveness in our lives and true renewal. And Lord, if there's anybody watching here that's never made a confession of faith uh, in Jesus Christ, I just pray that they would know that they can do that right now. As I was reading that passage through Romans, the whole idea of I can't even do what I want to do, the, the thing I want to do I don't do, and the very thing I hate is the thing I end up doing. If that resonated with anyone, and they sense that despair, I pray that they would know that they can call out to you in the name of Jesus and they can be saved. And they can start a new journey and be on a new path with you. And they can find great comfort. And they can choose to serve you and serve you alone. So help us in that, Lord. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Bless my brothers and sisters as we go through another week. Lord, uh, have mercy on us. Bring us back together, we pray, sooner than later. Uh, In Christ's name, amen.